Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could all sing like LeVon, right? Right? And, and yes, like we want to sing, I mean, come on, LeVon, I could probably sing similar. No, I couldn't even. I, not even, not even the same ballpark. But what is possible is that we can all sing from the heart the same way LeVon was singing, right? We have reason to give thanks. We have reason to, to be filled with joy and excitement and, and gr- gratitude for what God has done for us, for God in our lives. And, and I hope you all know that we may not be able to sound like LeVon did and, 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 and perform a, a song and have the musical talent that he has, but we all share with him in that same heart, the source of his gifts and his abilities to give thanks to God. And that's what we're here to talk about today. The reasons we have to give thanks to God. <clears throat> There's a, a cool little song written by Pete Seeger. Stick with me here for a little bit because this is you know, going back a few years. But it became popular when the birds, the band The Birds, performed the song. You know, I, I could probably uh, even like play a few chords. I couldn't play a few. We could you know, run it through the computer and play a few chords for you, and you'd probably recognize the lyrics would come right to mind for you. It was a song that they sang in 1965 called Turn, 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 right? To everything, turn, turn, turn. There's a season, turn, 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 and a time for every purpose under heaven. Awesome lyrics, right? Well, guess what? They didn't make these lyrics up. They came from the Bible, right? They they were actually King Solomon's words recorded in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and The point that King Solomon was making was that there's a time for everything in our world, right? There's a purpose and a time for everything in our world, a time to live and a time to die, a time to dance and a time to mourn. Maybe some of us have more time to dance. Others of us are probably, people keep us from dancing because they don't want to see that. So we don't, we don't allow everyone like myself to, to have that season of dancing too, too prevalently. But anyway, a time for love and a time for war. The, the, the thing for us to recognize here is that there's a time for every season in our lives. There's a time for, for grief and for mourning and for, for, for walking through a very difficult season, right? And, and, and that should give us hope because we're reminded of the God who is at work in every season of our lives. And that hope is also our connection to a heart of gratitude, that, that we too can sing in whatever season is going on in our lives, as we just heard a few moments ago. Well, this idea of, of seasons is all around us. All of creation moves in the motion of, of, of a cycle, right? Everything has a life cycle. Trees, for example, grow more and more every year as they move through the seasons. It's not just a matter of the fact that they they grow leaves in the spring, the leaves die off in the fall, and they go dormant for the winter, and then they come back to life in the spring. It's a matter of these trees progressively growing more and more and more. Every every cycle of all four seasons they move through, The, the, the cycles, the seasons, mean something. And the same could be said of our own spiritual growth and maturity. Some kind of think about how we grow and mature as children of God, right? We grow spiritually in, in our knowledge of God. And we kind of picture, you know, a stairway climbing up the steps. And, and as we get closer to God, we get further away from our past and from the things that, that we hope to leave behind us. But, but that's, that's not realistic, is it, right? 
What's realistic is seeing our growth more in the, the nature of a cycle, that we, we work around this cycle again and again, and we come back to some of those things, but hopefully we're growing more and more like Christ as we do, so the, the, the past is a little bit more behind us as we become more and more like Christ. God, God works more in cycles than he does in stairs. Consider the, the seasons of life we experience here in, in New England. As, as each new uh, season comes our way, things change. We grow. We, we become more and more. Actually, I shouldn't say not we, sorry. The uh, creation grows, right? And, and if you think of your own spiritual growth like the seasons around us, you, you, you come to realize like what starts off as a little sapling becomes a mighty tree down the road because it's endured seasons of the cycles, Last night, we had a chance to celebrate with Higher Ground Ministry. Many of you may remember Ted and Lucetta DeRamo. They, they lead this ministry called Higher Ground, which is a ministry focused on coming along sweet people who are facing life-controlling issues and, and showing them the hope that's theirs in Christ Jesus, how they too can sing from a, a place of overflowing gratitude, regardless of the circumstances of, of their lives, because of what God has done in their life and what he wants to do if they'll only trust him and put their faith in him. Last night was an awesome celebration because it wasn't just a matter of coming together and, and hearing a, an annual report of what the ministry did that, that year, how much they spent on coffee and, and desserts and how many people came to them. It was a matter of actually hearing life-changing stories, or life change, stories of life change testimonies of what God has done in their lives. And, and what's exciting about that is it's a reminder. We don't always talk about these things, but God actually changes people. He's in the business of transformation, of taking people from death to life. And, and you know, the, the, the life we live in now, the, 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 the mode that we live by, doesn't exactly invite us to slow down and think on that, to consider that. You know, there are there are seasons that we live through. And church, I want you to understand, your, your spiritual growth goes through seasons. And, and it's not reason to get discouraged. It's not reason to, to feel bad about yourself because you, you feel like you sound like a broken record. You keep coming back to that same place where, man, I just worry all the time. I'm just filled with anxiety. When's God gonna make me someone who has the courage to not worry, right? You're not a broken record. You're a person who's working through the cycles of growth when you trust God to come into your life. You may, you, you may be worried again, and that's normal. Because as you work through the cycle, and we'll talk about this cycle today, and as you work through the cycle of spiritual growth that God invites you into, that worry becomes less and less defining of who you are as a person and becomes more and more of a reason why you sing from the core of your being thanks to God. Because he's the one who helps lead you beyond the very thing you worry, uh, the, the very issue that you feel upset about or feel like you're a broken record about. It may not be worry, it may be anger, maybe maybe pride, maybe uh, impatience, maybe maybe you know just having this propensity to kind of latch on to any other god, any false god in this world, anything, money, power, prestige, popularity. Uh, it, it may just be any of those things. But don't be discouraged if you feel like a broken record. Because God doesn't grow us like we're climbing a, a bunch of stairs. He grows us like we're working through seasons like the, the world around us and, and, and what we see and experience around us. In, uh, 
in, in our Bibles, we, we can uh, read a passage in, in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, the author says this. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, by the, by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, it was not just a death. It was the most pivotal, most influential death in all of creation because that blood that he spilled on the cross was a, a blood spilled for you and for me. And because of the blood of that eternal covenant, the author prays that the people would be equipped with everything good, that God would do a work, that he would give them strength, that he would give them tools, that he would give them character, that he would grow that character within them, that they may have the, everything good to do his will, to do God's will, and that, that those things would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Not that we would work out uh, behaviors and attitudes that are pleasing in God's sight, but that God would work in us those things that are pleasing in his sight. Church, God is, is working in your life to cultivate the character and likeness of Jesus in you. This morning, if you're feeling discouraged, you feel like, man, I just cannot get past. It just, you know, I, I am just struggling to become more and more like Jesus. I hear what the pastor says day in and day out. We need to be more like Jesus and less like this world. But man, it just feels like nothing I do works. Don't be discouraged. I want to encourage you to rest in the truth that our God works in seasons and cycles, and he's working in you. This morning, we're going to consider how the cycle of gratitude and generosity is used in our lives to grow our character more and more like Jesus. We're talking about this as we kind of prepare for Thanksgiving, something our, our world is, is preparing to gather together. Our, I should say, here in America, we're, we're gathering together to celebrate that first Thanksgiving when the pilgrims traveled over here to the United States. They were seeking a religious freedom and things like that, and, and so they travel here, and, and we celebrate that first Thanksgiving, that first full Thanksgiving, the full, first full year when they, they had a harvest to, to, to feed off of, and, and, and they had the beginnings of a colony built up, and, 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 and so we're going to gather as a country to celebrate Thanksgiving, reasons to give thanks, right? But more importantly, we, we want to point to the ultimate reasons we have to give thanks and, and recognize that God works in us through his generosity and for the many reasons he gives us to be grateful and thankful to him. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to Exodus chapter 35. You, I mean, if you have a phone or a tablet that you like to read from, feel free to do that. We'll put it up on the screen in a minute here as well. But we're going to read a passage in Exodus 35. And here in this passage, I want you to just understand, because it's, it's, it's kind of a snippet of, of a narrative that we're going to read here. But in this narrative, God has, has, has called on Moses to gather the people of Israel together because he has some very important things to say to them, right? And, and we'll get to the context, but I want you to picture Moses standing with not just the, 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 the leaders or, or select few, but with the entire nation of God's people gathered before him. And, and we hear Moses say these things to the congregation, verse, starting, picking up in verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, 
silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Now, this may sound like a pretty interesting uh, list of ingredients. I don't know if you, I, I, was, I was thinking about what I wanted to do for lunch today, something, make something fun to cook, and I'm running through the ingredients in my head. I'm like, no, that's not right. That's, those things don't mix. If I, if I want to make, uh, it's not chicken piccata, but something like that. I'm like, oh, you, you, put, you put this in, you put that. I'm like, no, I need to go back and look at the recipe. I, I need to figure out what the actual ingredients are because my family's going to get something pretty interesting if I just combine whatever's in my head and, and put it together. What we have here is a very important list of the things that God has given Israel to use to construct the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a very important structure in the life of Israel because it was the place where God had promised to meet with his people, to make his glory dwell and be among them. And this tabernacle was something that they could break down and build up every time they moved to a new location. And so this is not just some building. This is not just the, the building materials needed to, to build a new tent or, or a place for some of the people to live in or anything like that. This is a very, in, in fact, I would say this is the central, uh, most important building structure for the people of Israel as they journey through the wilderness. And so we're going to spend a few moments talking about these, not just these ingredients. Actually, we're probably not even touch much on the meaning of these individual ingredients, more so we're going to talk about what God is doing by calling them to, to bring these ingredients before him. So let me pray for us as we spend time in God's word. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and not just some words, not just what seems like an interesting historical text or, or anything like that. This is the God of all creation revealing himself to us, revealing himself to Moses and the people of Israel and to all of us, recorded in time in such a way that we might know you. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us this morning that this would be beyond an, an academic exercise, would be a, a spiritual uh, experience of, uh, of allowing your word to have its way in us, to transform us and craft us into the people of God who are overflowing with gratitude, because of who you are and what you've done. So, Lord, help us to understand the cycle of generosity that you invite us into. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this is kind of taking a snapshot moment in the life of Israel. And at the time that we're coming alongside Israel in their, their history in Exodus 35, a lot has happened already for Israel to be aware of, reasons for them to be thankful and grateful to God. And not only just to be thankful and grateful, but to, to recognize that that gratitude is rooted in a strong faith. That they're grateful because they truly believe that God is who he has revealed himself to be, and God will do what he has promised to do. Now, the Israelites that Moses is talking to here in our passage, they were the first generation of Israelites to leave Egypt. If you remember the story of, of Israel in the Bible... These Israelites had lived under uh, enslavement to the Egyptians for, for many, many years, 400 years total to be exact. But, but this last generation had kind of, they'd reached the pinnacle of what it meant to live under the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. 
Right? The Bible tells us that, that the Egyptians had set about to deal shrewdly of them with, with the, the Israelites. They were scared of them. They, they saw the number of, of, of the people of Israel growing and, and, and becoming great, and, and the Egyptians became scared. They were fearful of these people overtaking what they believed was rightfully theirs. And so they set about to deal shrewdly. That's what our Bibles use that word shrewdly with them, right? The, the, our Bibles say that, that, that the Egyptians planned to afflict the Israelites, not just to have jobs for them to do and to make sure things get done, but their goal in giving them the labor that they gave them was to actually cause affliction to these Israelites, to kind of hold them under their thumb, to, 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 to oppress them, to, to keep them down. Moses uh, tells us that it was not just the goal of the uh, Israelites to, to, to oppress the, uh, I'm sorry, the Egyptians to oppress the Israelites, but, but also to, to make them bitter, to, to, to cause them to, to feel this bitterness and anger inside, this, this resentment toward God and toward others. They, they were these ruthless slave masters over the Israelites. And so when the book of Exodus opens up and, and this is happening, we're told of how God hears the, the cries of his people. He hears their despair, that they, the despair that they've been living in. And so early on in, in Exodus chapter 3, we're told of a visit that God comes and visits with a, a shepherd out in the wilderness himself, right? God visits him in, in this burning bush. And, and, and while this man's out in the, in the field watching over not his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep, and this is the man we know as Moses, right? This is the man who would eventually come and, and be used by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And, and this is how God reveals himself to Moses in this burning bush. Listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, if you are familiar with Israel's history, a lot of these nations were the very nations that Israel would one day face as they crossed the Jordan and into the land that God had promised them. Nations that were evil and oppressive themselves. Nations that were like offensive and aggressive and hate-filled. And yet God had said, listen, I've already set this land apart for my people. And so these nations were the nations that, that Israel had to face in coming into the promised land and, 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 and taking ownership of the land themselves. See, I, I, I want us to understand that, that the Lord has, has, is doing something in history, right? God is doing something in, in not just bringing together a people, but bringing them together for a purpose. He doesn't just rescue Israel out of slavery. He doesn't just save you from your sins. God is about rescuing us from something, but also rescuing us to something. You look at what he does here with Israel. He, he says, that I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. But that's not the end of the sentence. Because it goes on, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. See, church, God desires to be with you and I. From the very beginning of creation, God has desired, he has willed to be with you and I. When, when he created 
the heavens and the earth, when he created uh, all of mankind, all of creation and all of mankind, he wasn't doing it because he needed something from us. God was whole and complete, fully satisfied in etern- outside of creation, in eternity, between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything needed right there. But he creates us because he chose us and he desires to dwell with us. If God didn't desire to dwell with us, would he have created the garden in such beauty and majesty, a place where he could walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden? No. He would have created it as a separate place where God's over here, his creation's over here. But that's not how God created. God created because he wants to be with you and I. And so when we fast forward to what's happening here in Egypt, Israel has spent generation after generation fallen from sin after Adam and Eve in the garden, separated from God, and yet we get this opportunity to see this glimpse of God's plan to undo all that's been done through sin, to, to rescue us from the grip of evil and our separation we experience because of sin. So here in, in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, and especially here in Exodus 3, but then even as we fast forward to Exodus 35, where we're going to be looking at today, we get a glimpse into God's plan, his desire to be with his people. God's plan to rescue the, 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 the Israelites out of their hopelessness of slavery in Egypt was to rescue them to a life with God. Not just to, to punish the, the, the Egyptians and, and to, to undo the oppression that the Israelites are living with, but to save them to a life with God. You and I have been saved to a life with God, not just God being kind enough to deal with the the things of our past that we're ashamed of and the guilt and the pain that we've dealt with in the past, but because God loves you and wants to dwell with you. And so that's important to us to understand in, 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 in the context of the passage that we're looking at today. See, over the next 30 chapters or so, God miraculously works through Moses and others to, to, not, to not just rescue his people from, from Egypt, but to lead them out into the wilderness, to provide for their daily needs, to lead them across the Red Sea, to, 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 to lead them out of the reach and out of the grips of the Egyptian army. He, he leads them by a pillar of fire by night and, and a cloud by day through the wilderness. He provides food for them. He, he provides water from a rock miraculously when they're thirsty, Right? God does all of this because he wants to be with you and with me. He wants to be with his people. Now, all of these things are, are moments, reason enough for God's people to be thankful. Right? You, you, we, we read through Exodus and we're like, what's wrong with these people? How can they not be more thankful and grateful? How could they not be singing from the center of their soul all the reasons they had to be grateful to God because all these things can happen? But but if you look at what happens, how Israel responds is really no different than you and I. It's so easy for us to forget all the reasons we have to be thankful for, right? It's so easy to forget all the reasons we have to give God thanks. Time and again in the book of Exodus, God's people, they forget God. They, they forget what he's promised them. They forget what he's done and what he has promised to do. They, they complain and, and, and turn their backs on God just as Adam and Eve did in garden, and guess what? Just as you and I still do today, just as I, I do today, 
I'm not sitting here saying, look at you bad people. I'm saying, this is me. This is the, 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 the Israelites in the wilderness, this is characteristic of me apart from God. It's so easy to forget who God is and what he's done. The Israelites, they, they turn their backs on God. They forget how wretched their lives were when they were living in slavery. They, they forget how exhausted they were and how, no matter how tired they were at the end of the day, that wasn't enough. The Egyptians would just stack more and more on them because their goal was to make them bitter, to oppress them. They, they weren't looking to the Israelites to get the job done because they wanted something new or better. They were doing it to hold these people under their thumb. And how easy it was for the Israelites to forget that. Now, God eventually guides the people of Israel to, to the foot of Mount Sinai, where God calls Moses up on top of Mount Sinai. And this is the place where he gives uh, Moses the, the law to, to, to communicate with Israel. But here, here's, the, here's the interesting thing, right? This is where Israel's disobedience kind of reaches a, a crescendo, a, a, this, this pivotal moment. Because when Moses is up on the mountain for, for longer than what the Israelites think he should be, right? This isn't how we think it should go, God. They get impatient. They're tired of waiting. So what do they do? They set about to make their own doll, their own little false god, right? They gather some jewelry. They melt it down. They craft it into this, this, this golden calf. These stiff-necked, stubborn, impatient people. I mean, I'm saying that about myself. You know, it's so easy to be, it's so much easier to be a stiff-necked, stubborn, impatient person than it is to be a humble, patient, trusting child of God. And the Israelites were no different. If God won't do what they want him to do, they're going to make their own God. They're, they're going to they're gonna make their own God who, at least in their minds, they can make do what they want him to do, right? And so they mold this golden statue, and, and they dance around it. And, and really, it's a story for another day, because there's so much to look at and to notice in that story of the golden calf. But, but when Israel eventually realizes the horrors of what they've done, how they've turned their backs on the one God who rescued them from this life of slavery in Egypt— and, and, and empowered them to, to cross the Red Sea and, and to escape the grips of the, the Egyptian army. This one God who fed them day by day what their daily needs were. When they forget this one God and they realize what they've done, they repent. And, and I'm oversimplifying this moment by far, but they repent of their sins and God was faithful to forgive them. God was faithful to forgive them and continue to, to provide for them. It's not by chance that, that, that the Psalm, Psalm 136 reminds us to repeat time and time again, his steadfast love endures forever. And we repeat it again and again and again, because guess what? We're stiff-necked, stubborn, and impatient people who easily forget what God has done and who God is and so we need to be told time and time again, guess what, people? His steadfast love endures forever. Wait, 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 wait. You're, you're, you're going to miss this, so let me just say it one more time. His steadfast love endures forever. Okay, you got it? Good. Two seconds later. What, wait, what is it that endures forever? 
Is it his, his sometimes love? No, 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 that's not right. It's a different S. His steadfast love endures forever. Church, we need to not just be reminded. We need to remind one another of who God is because we're, we're no different than the Israelites. And this is the background to the instructions, this, this, build, this list of building materials we see here in Exodus 35. Because Moses is doing more than giving instructions on how to build this massive tent with these special materials. What, what, what makes the building of this tabernacle in Exodus 35 so incredible is that God is still willing to build a place to dwell among his people. I cannot emphasize this enough. There is no context within humanity where we would say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You should still dwell with your people who just abandoned you after you did all those things for them, right? To the human mind, that does not make sense. What makes sense to the human mind is like, you know what? They abandoned you, God. They're up, leave them to their own, their own decisions. Like, let them, let them go that path. They chose that. They didn't choose you, God, so let them deal with the consequences. That, that makes sense to our human minds, doesn't it? That, that, that there's a consequence to their choices, and they need, to, they need to live those consequences out. But God still chooses, still chooses to follow through on his promise to dwell with his people, a promise and a desire he's had since, the, since creation to dwell among us, to dwell with us, to be with his people. And so when we look at this passage in Exodus 35, I cannot emphasize enough the context in which God has asked Moses to speak to the nation of Israel and to give them an instruction in building the tabernacle. If we were to back up in our Bibles about 10 chapters to Exodus 25, we'd read some of these same words word for word. Starting in chapter 25, God gives Moses his plans to instruct the tabernacle, right? And, and, and how to build it and what sort of materials to use and, 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 and what sort of materials to fill the tent with, with altars and lamps and, and, and what, even what clothing the, the priests are supposed to wear when they, when they serve in the temple. And so our, our passage here in Exodus 35, it, it seems just like a re- repetition, like almost like, okay, Israel, like God's saying, okay, Israel, you forgot who I am, so I'm pretty sure you've forgotten the instructions I've given you on how to build this, this tabernacle. So let me, let me just give it to you one more time. It, it sounds like that's what's happening, but what's actually happening is the instructions come in Exodus 25. Here, fast forward to Exodus 35, it's actually starting to be built. The, the people are starting to bring the materials. They're, they're starting to come together. And so Moses isn't just trying to remind them how to build a temple. This is now becoming that historical account where God is accomplishing the, the, the construction of this tabernacle, the place where God's glory would dwell with his people. And it's just 10 chapters later. But, but here's the thing. Nestled between these 10 chapters is the story of the, of the golden calf. Nestled between God's instructions on how to build the tabernacle and then the actual construction of the tabernacle is this moment where Israel turns their back on God, forgets who God is, gets impatient, says, you know what, God, you've had Moses up there on top of that mountain for too long, so you know, let's, we, we can come up with a better plan. I bet you we could, we could craft a beautiful golden cow. I mean, I bet you we could do it really good, right? This is what happens between God saying, I'm going to dwell with my people. I'm going to go with them. I'm going to continue to provide for them, protect them, and lead them to where I want them to be. 
and, and when he actually does it. This is what happens in between. Israel has this gigantic moment of failure. They, they fail to be faithful to God. They fail, they fail trusting in him. And, and, and this moment is very important to understanding how God uses the cycle of generosity in our spiritual growth, in our growth in Christ-likeness. See, after Israel abandoned God and their faith in him, God graciously forgave them. And in his forgiveness, he not only forgives them for the past, his steadfast love endures forever. It endures on. It carries on. He remains faithful to his plan to dwell with his people. See, God's actions in the life of his people were gracious and forgiving. See, this is, this is the beginning in my mind. This is a glimpse of one way that God has shown us the generosity cycle in, the, in, in our scriptures. And this is the beginning of the generosity cycle. See, generosity doesn't begin with you or I. I, I know we have this urge, this desire to do a good thing. When trauma strikes, we, we, like the angst we feel inside for many of us is, what can I do, what can I provide, how can I help, right? We, we may think that that's where generosity begins, in response to a need. But the generosity cycle doesn't begin with you and I. It begins with God. See, when, when Israel sinned against God and, and abandoned their faith in him, God had every right to leave them and to walk away, right? He had every right to let them deal with the consequences of their choices. And is that what God does? No. God remains faithful to his promises and his plans. He remains faithful to his desire to dwell among his people. So where you and I are, uh, fail and are capable of sin, God continues on and is, and, and is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever. So instead of scrapping his plans to build the tabernacle, God extends grace. He shows an undeserved favor and chooses life with his people. He chooses life with the Israelites. He chooses life with you and I. So Moses' words here in Exodus 35 are, are so much more than instructions on how to build a tabernacle. The words that Moses is speaking is, is the entire, is, to the entire congregation of Israel are actually God's invitation to his people to make their gratitude visible. You're thankful for the grace and the forgiveness I've shown you. Let's make it visible through an act of generosity, right? He, he, he's, God is essentially restoring the people of Israel to fellowship with him. Just as in our New Testament, we read of how, how Jesus restores Peter to fellowship with him after his resurrection. Remember Peter, who was the one who said, God, I'll never, or Jesus, I'll never deny knowing you. And, and Jesus is like, well, actually, you're gonna do it three times before the sun rises. And, and, and so that night where Jesus is arrested and he's put on trial, three times Peter has the opportunity to, to affirm that he knows Peter Jesus, and three times he denies him. And you can imagine how crushed Peter is. Fast forward to after Jesus has been crucified and comes back from the grave, and there's this moment where Jesus meets with Peter, and three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, Jesus, Lord, you know that I do. Well, Peter, feed, feed my sheep. Three times goes through this cycle. And, and, and in a similar way, Jesus, Jesus is restoring Peter, not just 
to that fellowship of reminding Peter that God, Jesus has not abandoned him. Jesus still has a purpose for him and a plan in, the, in his kingdom. So God is reminding the people of Israel that God has not abandoned them. That this invitation in Exodus 35 to, to take part in the building of the tabernacle is more than just a, hey, don't forget the instructions moment. It's, it's an invitation for Israel to remember and to realize that God has never left them. He has not abandoned them. In, in fact, this, this moment is where they can look back and see this generosity in our lives begins with God's action. So this, this cycle of generosity that we're, we're talking about this, this morning, it all starts with God. He begins. He goes first. God acts. And if God's actions are where the cycle begins, then what follows next in the cycle is our response. This is where generosity comes into play for us. This is where gratitude comes into play for us. Look at uh, uh, verse 5 of Exodus 35 with me. Moses tells the people of Israel, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, and so on and so forth. See, in light of God's forgiveness and his steadfast love, his steadfast focus on his desire to be with his people, our response is gratitude that overflows in generosity. In response to seeing that God has not left us, that God has not abandoned us, that God has not done what we did and, and turned his back on us, in response to seeing God's faithfulness and gracious forgiveness, our response is an invitation to participate with God again, to participate in the work he's doing, to show our gratitude through giving back from generous hearts, right? Generosity is itself a response to something. We're not born with, with, generous, with generosity. We're not born giving away to other people, right? If We're not born that way. No, no one's born being generous, but it is something that we can learn to value, to celebrate, and to grow in. Within the Christian life, generosity finds its origins in our devotion to Christ. Generosity flows out of a knowledge of God's love for us in Jesus Christ and our commitment to him. So we're able to give away more freely, to be more generous, to give away our time and our talents and our, our treasures. See, gratitude and generosity, they go hand in hand. And, and, and they grow out of our confident knowledge of God. But here's the thing about gratitude and generosity. God doesn't demand it. It's not demanded by God. God's promise to dwell with his people is not predicated on whether or not we show gratitude or generosity. God doesn't wait to build a temple until, until Israel shows that they're truly thankful for God's forgiveness. Right? The invitation to live in God's cycle of generosity is just that. It's an invitation. Church, God, God is not uh, saying to you this morning, you have to give. You have to do this. You, you have to show me you're thankful for my forgiveness. But he is inviting us to respond. God invites us to give freely and generously in response to his actions. Remember, God goes first in this cycle, but our response follows that. It's an invitation to live into this cycle. 
you know, creation doesn't have a choice. Creation has to go through the seasons of life that we, that we can see most powerfully here in New England, right? A, a tree doesn't have a choice whether or not to go through winter uh, or, or to, 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 you know, grow new uh, leaves in the spring. But God's, but the, the generosity cycle is an invitation from God. Do you want to grow more confident and, 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 and firm in your understanding of who you are as a child of God? Well, the God invites you then to enter into that generosity cycle. It's an invitation to give freely and generously in response to God's actions. Now, in, in the, the um, English Standard Version, the ESV translation of Exodus 35, 5, Moses says, whoever is of a generous heart, right? But other translations will, will kind of offer a different perspective on this, on the Hebrew. They say, whoever is of a willing heart, right? God doesn't demand that we give. He invites those who are of a willing heart, who desire to be generous, to respond to God. He invites those to come and bring before the nation these, these materials to build the tabernacle where God's glory will dwell. See, what God is asking for us this morning, church, and what he was asking Israel, even in, the, the, in gathering up the materials to build a tabernacle, is for us to check our hearts, for the people of Israel to check their hearts, for you and I to really ask you know, what it is that, that we care about and value, and, and are we truly thankful? Do we care about God? Do we care about what God has done for us? Do we really value and treasure the forgiveness that he offers us? To spend some time really checking our hearts. So to give generously, not out of guilt or requirement, but to, to see our generosity from a true heart, rooted in gratitude, thankful, and desiring to give back, desiring to share in God's plans. So our response to God in acting in our life is a heart that's moved to respond. Not a heart that God forces to respond, but a heart that, that is motivated and moved to respond, to pour back what we first received in Christ. Uh, Walter Brueggemann once said that God's faithfulness and goodness are experienced as generosity, continuity, and regularity. God's good, uh, faithfulness and goodness are experienced as generosity, continuity, and regularity. In other words, we've experienced or we experience the richness of God's love and forgiveness through his generosity. God has gone first. God generously created. God generously provided all that he did in the garden. God generously promised to continue to provide and care for his people. We forgot God. We chose our own path. Sin enters the world. But God doesn't stop there. God continues in that purpose and in that plan to generously give us and offer us life. That's the gospel. That, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That God continued to reach out to this world generously, to pour himself out for mankind. Because his desire from the very beginning was to be with us. So God's action in going first was to be generous. 
to generously give of himself that we too might enjoy life in God. And so our response to God's actions of generosity is generosity and gratitude, to pour back what we've received from him. Church, we get to be generous, okay? We don't have to be generous. I want you to hear that because I think that's very important when you think of the life you have in Christ is it's an invitation. You get to be generous. You don't have to be generous. When that voice creeps up and in, in, in is either whispered in your ear, you hear it in among the people that we have to do this, that we're crazy if we don't, you need to quiet that voice. And you need to pay attention to the voice that says God is inviting you to be grateful and generous. But that's what it is. It's an invitation. He leaves it up to you to decide if that's how you want to respond. If you want to enter into the life with God and the cycle of generosity that he, that, that he allows to work in you and through you. You don't have to be generous. You get to be generous. And you're only going to realize this when you see God's gracious presence in your life. So I think gratitude is the difference between feeling like we have to be generous and realizing that we get to be generous. Those who realize they get to be generous are those who realize all that they have to be grateful for in God. I know I've been beating the same drum over and over this month, or at least it feels like I have, but, but, but church, we need to wake up and notice God more. We, we need to, to, to allow our minds to not be so dis easily distracted by this world. We need to notice what God has done, what he is doing, and be reminded of what God has promised to still yet do. So our minds are flooded with images and information and noise in a technologically rich world. And there are so many good things that can be done with all of these technological advances. But hear me when I say this, there's also a risk in embracing it too fully in allowing our hearts and our minds to be filled with noise from this world that we don't even have the capacity or the space or the, 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 the margin in our life to notice God, to notice what he's doing. So I think that's, that's what's lost in, in what's going on in our world. We, we, we've lost the, the understanding of the simple spiritual di discipline of slowing down, of being still, and knowing that God is God. So church, remember God. You want to enter into this, this cycle of generosity, you got to remember God. If you want to be that person that, that offers back of a willing heart, that, that actually desires to be generous, not doesn't feel obligated to be generous, but desires to, well, it begins with remembering who God is. It begins with remembering that he created you because why? He wants to be with you. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to be like the Egyptians and, and oppress you and, and hold you under his thumb. God desires to be with you. But we've got to notice that, remember it. No, numerous times in the Bible, God's people are told to remember. Why? So that they would not forget God's generosity toward them. Israel needed this message in the wilderness. Israel had been given this message, by the way to not forget what God had done. But they needed that message over and over again in the wilderness so that they would not forget God's generosity toward them and be disconnected from the many reasons we have to be grateful in Christ Jesus. 
I think God allows us to take part in the cycle of generosity, to pour back generously what he's generously poured out in our lives. But where the generosity cycle concludes is where God accomplishes his plans through the generosity of God's people. If you skip ahead to Exodus chapter 36, we can read the the beginning of the end of the work of the building of the tabernacle. Listen to what happens. These are the skilled craftsmen. They come to Moses, and and they have this little conversation. And and what we read in 36, they received Moses from all, all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses... The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Right? The people are bringing more than enough for us to complete the task before us. So Moses gave a command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing for the, materi- for the material they had sorry, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Notice that God isn't saying, okay, people, you can stop being gener- generous. Turn off that faucet. Generosity comes and goes, right? No, he's saying, for this task, for this moment, your generosity has exceeded the need of this project. So shift your generosity away from this project because why? God will bring to completion the, the, the fulfillment of his promise to dwell with his people in the completion of the tabernacle. See, the, the people's wholehearted response wasn't giving, you know, an obligatory 10%, uh, which is somehow how we, we, sometimes how we translate tithe, or, or maybe paying some fee, like, hey, the church is, we, we want to do this for the church or that for the church. It, this is not how generosity works, right? I'm not saying we need more. I'm saying we need to be paying attention to God and paying attention to where God's inviting us to be generous. Why? So we can see what God is going to accomplish in this world as he prepares to bring in the final pieces of his kingdom. The people's response was an ongoing overflow of generosity. And it wasn't dependent on the needs of, of, of a project or, or, or uh, you know, the oppressing need. It was a constant flow of gratitude and, and generosity in response to God's generosity towards us. See, generosity as a virtue and a character in your life is not determined by the circumstances of our world and, and what's going on. Generosity is, is determined by your relationship to God, by your awareness of his generosity towards you, by, by your gratitude to God, your thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he's done. It's an inner disposition of your heart toward God. So if I were to stand up here and say, hey, church, we need you to be more generous, that would be a lie, right? We're not asking you to be generous for something we're doing or not. We're asking, we're inviting, as God has invited you, to see generosity as an aspect of your character in Christ, God wants to cultivate generosity in you, not so you just give it away, but so you'd, you'd, you'd be that person who's more aware of all the reasons you had to be thankful in Christ. 
Because that's the only way that generosity can really grow, is your greater knowledge of who God is and what he is doing in your life and what will do in this world. Here in Exodus 35, the the people's response to God's actions were evidence of, of, of their repentance for abandoning God, right? This is a moment where we should say, hey, they get it. They realize what they've done. They're going all in on life with God. They're not, they're, not, they're not saving these, these resources so that, they're, they, so that they can make sure they've got things stored up for winter or something like that. They're going all in on God, trusting him, giving him thanks for the forgiveness he's given them, even after they had abandoned him and, and crafted some golden doll of a cow, right? Their response was the evidence of their gratitude for his forgiveness, Later on, after the the work on the tabernacle was completed, we're told this in Exodus chapter 40. Starting in verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord, the presence of God, dwelled, filled the tabernacle. And so throughout all their journeys, whether the Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God accomplished what he had intended to accomplish. But guess what? He invites us. He invites uh, invites us to be used in his accomplishments, to be used in accomplishing what he's promised to do. Your generosity, if you willingly give it to God, not to Dan, but to God, is used by God to accomplish his purposes and his plans in this world. See, the generosity cycle begins with God's action. It began in this story where God heard the cries of his people and set about to rescue them out of slavery, but rescue them into a land where he could dwell with them. The generosity cycle began there with God's actions, and it flows into our generous response to his generosity toward us, right? And God, and the cycle concludes in God accomplishing with our generosity what he's planned all along, to be with us. And then guess what? It begins all over again. As we become aware of God's actions, as we remember him, as we notice God moving in our world and in our lives, and we respond to his action with gratitude and generosity, he uses that generosity in such a way that he accomplishes more and better and greater things, not for ourselves or our own, our own kind of storehouses of, of resources, but for this world and for his purposes in this world. God acts, we respond in generosity, God accomplishes. Here in Exodus 35, God used the generous gifts that came from willing hearts, not obligatory hearts or or required hearts, but willing hearts to build the tabernacle, a place where his glory dwells. Church, we need reminders every day of God's goodness and grace. I mean, I know that sometimes the risk as a preacher is to stand up here and, and, and preach to the room all the things that God is needing to say to me. Maybe it's not for the, for the group, but I'm pretty sure that this is true for us all. 
We need daily reminders of God's goodness and grace. And then let's let those reminders have their full effect. Let's encourage one another to let those reminders have their full effect. Let God's goodness and grace provoke a response of gratitude and generosity. And then see what God can do. Watch and observe. See what God will do through your generosity, through our generosity, through my generosity. See, when we live in the cycle of generosity, we we become increasingly aware of God's goodness and grace. Next time, the next season, I'm going to look back and remember God's goodness and grace. Hopefully, right? I think it's not just a matter of, of becoming increasingly aware of God's goodness and grace, but it leads to, to greater hearts of gratitude, increasing amounts of gratitude and thanksgiving, and increasing amounts of generosity, which God then uses to accomplish more of his purposes and plans in this world. Granted, he doesn't need our generosity to accomplish these things, but he invites us to contribute those things generously. So church, you're not a broken record. God will accomplish all that he wants to do in the life of his people. So pay attention to what he's doing. Pay attention to God's cycle of generosity at work in in your life. God acts. We respond willingly in gratitude and generosity. That's the only response we can offer. Everything else is fake. And then God accomplishes great things in this world. When you gather around the table this Thanksgiving, think twice before you say what you're thankful for. Think deeply. Maybe that's it. Maybe not think twice, but think deeply as to all the reasons you have to be thankful. Don't let them become some obligatory response like, this is what I think I'm supposed to say when I go around the table. But think deeply from, from the core of your being of all the reasons you have to be grateful. Recognize that's the beginning of God using a cycle of generosity in your life to grow your faith, to draw you near to him, and to accomplish great things in this world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you that, that, uh, that you love us, that you chose us. And I know there are many of us this morning who struggle to, to, to fully believe that, that you want to be with us. We may feel more like the Israelites who become aware of how how tragic and horrible the things are that we did. Yet, Lord, we, we need that daily reminder of your goodness and grace. Would you have your way in us, remind us of your goodness and your grace to, 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 to be steadfast and faithful. May we go out from here repeating the words of Psalm 136. For his steadfast love endures forever. Not not until we say we're sorry or or not once we say we're sorry. Not not, uh, until we mess up and walk away from him. His steadfast love endures forever. God, I cannot pray desire enough for us to be a people who notice you more. Who remember you, God who are so grounded in your actions, in your being, that the gratitude and generosity willingly overflow from us. So Lord, have your way in us. May we be a people filled overflowing with gratitude and generosity. 
and look with expectation to what you will do in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.